Welcome to another episode of Vet School Unleashed, Dissecting the DVM, where we dissect topics and issues relating to life in veterinary school. I'm your host, Seth Williams, and I'm a veterinary student at the University of Missouri College of Veterinary Medicine. So first, let's give a little background on today's topic. Quite a ways back, we did a podcast that compares the nuts and bolts of veterinary school to medical school. It's truly become one of our most popular podcasts, so I thought it would be a great idea to do a similar chat about veterinary school versus veterinary technician school. I don't know about you, but as far as vet school goes, we have not gotten a ton of information as to what goes into becoming a credentialed veterinary technician. And since we don't understand much about that, it's really difficult to identify the value of a credentialed vet tech versus a non-credentialed vet tech when it comes to practice out in the real world. So today on the podcast, I'm thrilled to welcome registered veterinary technician Becky Mosser, who's going to help us get a bit of a clearer picture of what goes into becoming an RVT, their value in the vet practice, and essentially how can they help us take our medicine to the next level. Becky is a 2007 graduate of Central Carolina Community College in North Carolina, where she earned her associate's degree to then become a registered veterinary technician and now lives in Wilmington, North Carolina. Welcome to the podcast, Becky. I'm so glad that you were able to join me today. Um, How's it going? It's going great. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here. Awesome. Good. Me too. So to start off the conversation, I just wanted to ask you to share a bit about your background, how you got into the industry, and, um, and a little bit about your journey. Yeah, I think I've had a somewhat non-traditional journey for a lot of members of the veterinary industry. You know, everybody says we're born into this profession, and while I think I really was born into the profession, I don't necessarily think I knew it right away. Uh, My grandfather always used to tell me that I was going to be a farmer or a veterinarian, although Mm -hmm. I don't think he actually knew what a veterinary technician was at that time. So I grew up with an affinity for animals and always around animals, but I don't know that I necessarily had the confidence to enter the veterinary field. I was, of course, worried about what it was like to have those experiences with pets and um, to be around animals who are hurting. And, you know, the obvious thing everybody always mentions, which is euthanasia, you know, are those things I could really do. I uh, applied for a job in a veterinary hospital and actually was offered the job. And I went into the back in sort of an orientation type appointment. And um, they told me, you know, don't worry, we'll teach you all of this. And I looked around and I thought, you know, there's no way you can teach me all of this. And I went and I found the closest veterinary technology school. It happened to be just about 20 miles from my house. And it was one of the the top schools in the country. So I was really excited to get the opportunity. And I graduated from Central Carolina back in 2007 and that's kind of where my career started awesome so before you got into tech school and and you kind of decided to actually take the leap and do that what was the why did you want to become a, a, a registered technician well I think again there was just this feeling of not being comfortable learning the content on the job. I just knew that there was no way I was going to have this well-rounded whole education and be able to do the best at at my job without the book knowledge as well as the hands-on knowledge. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to learn in an environment that was controlled. And I didn't want to misrepresent that I had these skills to, to clients and, and then tell them I'm going to take your pet and, and do this and get blood. And it really is a time I'm practicing or learning on them. For me, that I wasn't comfortable that way. I knew going to tech school... Getting the registration, having the license was going to be the best way to have all of the knowledge that I could have to be the best technician I could be. Right. Great. Well, let's get down to some like 
definition questions that I have, and I think a lot of other vet students have, and maybe even some some young veterinarians have, and that is the difference between an RVT or a registered veterinary technician and a CVT, a certified vet technician. I think there's there is one more, isn't there? So there's actually two more. So there's oh, RVTs, wow. LVTs, CVTs. And then Tennessee actually has their sort of own credential, and they're all actually the same. We, at the end of the day, have all gone to an AVMA accredited college. We've all got a license within the state. If there is one provided, we've passed the national VTE and have a national um, have passed the national VTE as well to maintain that license. So, while the regulatory between all the states is different, that is what drives the letter. So it's how your state handles you, whether you're a CVT, RVT, LVT. Because of this, the um, National Association of Veterinary Technicians in America is actually driving an initiative right now to change the title to registered veterinary nurse. And this is an initiative across all 50 states to have one credential that would reunite the entire profession. Gotcha. Well, that's actually a good way to segue into that question, for uh, which I had of you, which is what are your thoughts uh, as to that name change? I've heard varying opinions about it. I have my own. I'll, I'll kind of let you talk about your opinion first. But um, vet tech or vet nurse, what, 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 are you, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so I'm 100% vet nurse. And, you know, I think part of it is just the fact I believe we should work smarter and not harder. And this has been a profession problem for over 30 years. We have not been able to educate the community as to what a veterinary technician is and what they do. And when you look at a national level, in most countries, they're considered veterinary nurses. And I think it makes the most sense to really encompass what we do and, and get that client education out there as to what we are to the profession. Right. I couldn't agree more. And and I think that technician is kind of an antiquated term for what you all do in the hospital. I think maybe, you know, whenever the technician title was, was created, however many decades ago, that may have better encompassed what, what you all did in the hospital setting or the clinic setting. But when it, when it comes down to it, in terms of modern knowledge and what people think of as a nurse, that is exactly what you do. What whatever uh, you know, the the things that human nurses do for us in in our human hospitals is very very much in line, if not um, identical, to what you all do for our animal patients. Um, so I, right. I think it's a no brainer for me um, to to call you a nurse, um, and and I don't really know why there's so much pushback on it. I don't think there's a whole, uh, as much pushback as maybe I think there is, but um, I'm excited to hopefully see where that's going to go and hopefully um, different states uh, will begin to adopt that title for, for the technicians out there. Yeah, a lot of the pushback that we're seeing is around the title choice. And for a lot of technicians, they say, you know, the number one thing I think we hear is I do so much more than a nurse. And, mm-hmm. you know, I've really grown to, to detest this statement in general because I don't think it really speaks to what human nursing field does in terms of education. When a student is a in, involved in a nursing program on the college level, they're learning phlebotomy and, and a lot of the same 
anesthetic procedures, a lot of the same drug procedures, drug education, outlining uh, human anatomy, of course, as opposed to our side of things. But their education mm-hmm. is almost perfectly mirrors what we're learning, right? So um, I think they end up a little bit more specialized out in the field, so we don't necessarily get to see them use all of their skills. But I always argue, you know, if that's what you think, you've never received medical care in a small town. Because if you've right. ever had to go to a tiny little medical center in a small town as I have, you know, these nurses are taking your radiographs. They are, you know, providing anesthesia and, and blocks for local procedures and things like that. So the education is really similar. And I think it's sort of um, almost an uneducated thing to say. And I think it's just that people don't necessarily have the background. So it's sort of the number one thing that we hear then, you know, we hear that it's more about client education than a name change and that the human nursing field will really highly resist this change. And mm-hmm. um, those are also two things that we've been able to kind of myth bust. There are some people in the nursing community who who are feeling protective of their title and understandably so. But what we've heard overall is is more than anything like, no, that's that sounds like exactly what you do. And as long as you include veterinary, they embrace the title change as well. Right. That's great. That's great to know. So going on to the topic of your education and and for the years that you put into to earning that title and to becoming a a more well-versed nurse in in the clinic i want to know and and i i'll preface this by saying that and i'm speaking mainly from my experience at university of missouri is that we don't really get any formal information about what it takes to become uh, an rvt or a cvt what have you so can you give us a rundown of what the curriculum is like in vet tech school and what goes into it. Um, essentially, what does it take to to graduate from a, a veterinary technician school? Great. So I think that's a great question. And I love it's one that you're putting out there because I think you're right. There isn't a whole lot of knowledge about what can a veterinary nurse or technician do when they get out of school and what are the skills that they learn. So the majority of vet tech programs are two years. There are some three and four year programs. So a couple programs where you'll graduate with a veterinary technology bachelor's degree. Um, And the program themselves, uh, the mainstream two year program is going to outline all areas of, of veterinary health. So anatomy and physiology, we do radiology, dentistry, nutrition, the whole outline of the curriculum is is done by an organization called the CVTEA, and they are a arm of AVMA, and they oversee all of the skills that a student has to do. So a student who graduates from an AVMA-accredited program is going to have done dental prophylactics. They're going to have done radiolo- radiological procedures. They're going to have participated in surgery. They're also going to have experienced a large animal semester. And there are um, pretty stringent requirements now that are being put into effect around birds and exotic animals. So they're going to have experience with not only uh, large animal, small animal, but exotics and lab animal as well. So it's a really well-rounded career. For the most part, you're going to expect them to be able to come into practice and perform the skills that you need on a day-to-day basis. So venipuncture perform run anesthesia, induce anesthesia, and recover anesthesia for any of your surgical patients. They learn a lot of the basic suture techniques. So Mm -hmm. a lot of veterinary technicians are excited to come out of practice and be able to um, 
suture up the outer layer of, of a procedure for their veterinarian and help move things along faster in terms of being utilized. That's something that gets them really excited. Also, again, we learn nutrition, we learn office practices, we learn client education. So there's that additional aspect that a lot of technicians are learning as well on the business side and the client education and communication side, which I think is something that we get that a lot of veterinary students don't get. I would say so. And then in terms of the science background, the physiology background, can you talk a little bit as, as to what is involved with the curriculum in terms of that? I know that the 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 technical aspect is is at the forefront, um, but how much? You know, let's take example for example anesthesia. How much of the physiology behind what goes into that is involved? I mean, I think it depends on the program that you're involved in. And, you know, I say that because there's baseline requirements and there's baseline knowledge, but some programs are going to be more extensive than the uh, than others. Um, anatomy and physiology is going to be a baseline course you're going to take your first semester. So you're going to learn all of your basic anatomy and physiology of all the major breeds. But when it comes to anesthesia, I think much like veterinary school, a lot of it is who is teaching you. You're learning the anatomy and the physiology based on not only the machine, the induction, the maintenance, and the recovery, Mm -hmm. but you're also learning physiologically what's happening to the body system while the patient's under anesthesia and for all those major breeds. So it's pretty extensive. The experience that the student's going to get is where it really varies by programs. You know, I've seen programs that work in conjunction with shelters where students are getting some amazing experience in anesthesia. I was just doing a CVTA site visit here in North Carolina where the students were working with the shelter and the following week they're going to be doing a... Um, a, a hernia repair on a on a dog that had come into the shelter, and I thought, what an amazing experience for a student to have. Yeah. Other students are going to come out with your more basic spay neuter procedures that have gone pretty quickly, pretty routine, on your baseline beagle who's you know from a lab and has pretty standard background. So, um, I think the experience the students get varies by program, but they're all getting a pretty extensive, you know, education that goes around what's involved with the anesthesia. Again, it's all about the teacher, isn't it? You know, if you have a teacher who's really passionate and can help really teach you conceptually, you're going to have students who are who are outstanding no matter what in whatever area it is. Absolutely. Definitely. Now, let's talk a little bit more about the two-year two year versus four-year program because that really interested me as well. I actually have a friend in my class in vet school that attained a four-year vet tech degree before coming to vet school. So I talked to her a little bit more about it, but I'm still unclear as to the pros and cons and the benefits to to doing either one of the two, the two-year or the four-year program. Yeah, it's so funny because, you know, when you talk about the pros and cons of being a vet tech in general, I have to say it's all really internally driven stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. The, unfortunately, we don't have a, a profession that, you know, my license is really required. People can come off the street and do my job. So when you're talking about a two-year degree or a four-year degree, a lot of times you're talking about what the personal motivation is for the individual. If that's a school that's nearby and accessible, they may just want to go ahead and get that bachelor's degree or that's a program that's accessible to them. A lot of veterinary technicians, though, are just striving to be better and know more and have more education and be more competitive. And because we receive an associate's in applied science, which is an AAS degree, 
there's not as many bachelor programs for us to transition into naturally. So to go back to school, a lot of times you're going to have to kind of start over and get that BS Mm -hmm. if you want to to have a bachelor's degree because a lot of the veterinary technician programs are considered quote-unquote electives on the community college level or within the private sector where they're offered. So these aren't transferable courses, right? So a lot of students have to go back and they have an, an immense amount of time that they have to do. If they can go specific to a bachelor program such as St. Petersburg's, you know, then they have the ability to obtain a bachelor's degree that's supported by the associates they already have. Right. Interesting. That's definitely some something interesting to think about. Now, you also mentioned too that the the value of of the degree, the value of the value of becoming a registered or certified technician, is something to think about as well. And that actually was my next question for you. So. And let me, I'm, I'm playing devil's advocate here. And, and, and I'll preface this by saying that I am totally for hiring registered technicians. And, and I definitely see the value in their training and, and, and their leadership in coming into the clinic and leading the other technicians or assistants or whoever you're going to have on your team. So here's my, my devil's advocate question for you. Why would I hire uh, an RVT or CVT and and pay them more money, which they are well-deserved, obviously, when I can just take a, uh, a teenager or a young adult right off the street and teach them the job I need them to do? Yeah, I mean, that's the mentality that we're, we're battling. And I understand that's not your personal, you know, feeling about it, but that's the that's the feeling on so many levels. And I guess part of it is the first thing I think to myself is like, you've got to be kidding me, right? Like, how right, are you going to take right. somebody off of the street and teach them anesthesia and teach them aseptic technique? And at the end of the day, you're doing this on your client's dogs. Now, that being said, my own devil's advocate, of course, I have worked with amazing on-the-job trained folks who I've learned a ton of things from. So, you know, it's hard for a lot of us credentialed staff members to even have this conversation because we almost feel like, we all can think of somebody who doesn't hold a credential, who was a huge mentor or somebody who taught us a lot of things or we've worked with who we love and, you know, who, who have amazing skill set. At the end of the day, there is still, you know, a credential. There's there's a title. There's work that went behind our, our licensure for the majority of the people who are holding a credential. So, um, you know, I guess I have to say is it's the it's the best practices. It's the ability to have somebody come in and be able to increase your revenue within your practice because it's not about training them. It's about taking the skills that they've learned, the passion that they already have, the passion that they've shown, and helping them have a career. I think a lot of times when you look at some of the on-the-job trained staff, this is not their professional life. They look to move on and go somewhere else or or this is just what they're doing for the time being. It's not a passion-driven profession where they've right. taken the time and the initiative to get the education behind that profession. Right. I, I was actually just about to say that too, in that when you hire on, or I'm imagining that when you would hire on uh, an RVT, you know that they are a career technician. Whereas someone that, like you said, uh, some person that came in off the street that you were going to train on the job, which you are more than happy to do, you may not know if they're in it for the long haul. I see the the dedication that, that let's take you, for example, you know, put into gaining that that license, the the two years or even the four years that it took to do that, and the drive that it takes to to go through all of that, um, it's very valuable 
to me and, and, and your long-term growth and, and the growth of, of the practice or the clinic or wherever you're at. So I think it, I look at it that way in terms of how you value the job as getting the, the RVT. Uh, and I think that's for me right now in my, my early, very early career, what sets, what sets the two apart, the, the, the RVTs, the ones that went through school to, to attain that license uh, versus those that did not. Yeah, absolutely. And and it sounds like you, you totally get it. And I think more and more veterinary students are coming out having been, you know, touched by some amazing technician while they were in school who really helped them understand the importance and know that this is somebody who's going to help make them money in practice. And also, you know, we have a level of education that's going to kind of help have your back, right? So you count on your veterinary technicians to say like, oh, doc, you know, are you, are you sure you meant one mil or did you right. mean you know point one mil and and then you look at us like oh my god thank you <laughs> because this is what this profession's all about right we all make mistakes and this is what we're here for so by having credentialed staff members you're protecting your clients you're protecting your patients you're protecting yourself and you're investing in someone who has invested in themselves right exactly and, and i will say too that at least at, at the teaching hospital that we have here at Mizzou, and I would imagine that at most teaching hospitals at the vet schools across the country, most or the vast majority of the technicians that work at those hospitals are RVTs or CVTs, uh, what have you. So we will get firsthand experience working with, with those uh, those team members while we're on our clinical rotations. And I know that from upperclassmen that I've spoken to about their experience on clinics is that the technicians there are really their biggest advocates and their biggest help in terms of forwarding their skills and and really developing um, the, the 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 hands-on training that they need uh, to be successful in clinics. So I know that that I'm going to be able to see that firsthand as well. Absolutely. Now the other question I had for you that is just in line with that is what does an RVT do in the in the clinic to make a positive impact? In other words, in your opinion, what's the biggest thing that you bring to the table with the background you have that would set you apart from from other technicians that did not um, attain uh, the RVT? Uh, status. So the number one area within the hospital where I think a credentialed technician is going to stand out over your on-the-job trained staff is in the lab. And, you know, this is an arguable point. A lot of clinics are not doing a lot of lab work in-house, but I argue it's because they don't have somebody on staff who's skilled to do it. I love personally laboratory right. procedures and laboratory techniques. And so it, it kind of is a passion of mine as it is anyways. But, you know, it's just an area where it's really hard to teach on the job. There's not a lot of time, you know, when you're trying to teach something um, on a urinalysis, it's floating around and moving, you know, as opposed to the opportunity students have had to run heaven only knows how many urinalysis all summer long for most technicians students I know right. before they come right. out of school. So I think the lab is an area and then obviously anesthesia, right? I mean, I just think the idea that someone without a license can induce and maintain anesthesia on a patient is a really, really scary thing. And, and I get that a skill is a skill and anything can be taught, but without having that knowledge of the physiology behind anesthesia, even just understanding about alveolar absorption and, and what that looks like and, and the risks behind the various disease processes in the in the patients, I, I just get mind blown that we're even having this talk about somebody who has not had that education performing these procedures. Right. And I, I think of it too, I, I oftentimes flip it around and, and kind of think about some of the practices we do 
in veterinary medicine and how those would look in the human medical world. And I'm just thinking now as, as we're talking that if we were to take some of our human nurses and not give them the training that the RNs have uh, in, in the human hospitals, how would we feel about them doing things on us, uh, us as patients, that some of the non-credentialed or, or, or vastly less experienced veterinary technicians do uh, on pets and other animal patients that we have? It's just a kind of a, a food for thought thing that I had yeah, just now. Yeah, right. And I've, I've argued to many veterinarians, some more understanding than others, but, you know, I say... If we are to allow on-the-job trained staff to perform the same skills that we can as credential technicians or take our job title as veterinary technician because they've done it for a long time and they know a lot of things, then, you know, 10 years into my experience as a credential technician, call me Dr. Becky because if it's just about skills and learning and knowledge, then to be sure in 10 years, I've gained as much as any veterinarian I'm working with and I can now be promoted to that level. And to any veterinarian I've ever talked to, they're like, well, that's just crazy. And I'm like, well, I feel the same way about my skill and my my education uh, very much the same way. And that sort of kind of does help to enlighten a lot to think, yeah, you're right. This isn't something we would just hand away. This is an education that we be our profession on right and i think it would help too and going back to the client education aspect of it 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 would make a a big difference in my opinion to to make sure that our clientele knows the difference as well i think it's very much a a piece of knowledge that most of us have in the veterinary profession in terms of that you can have a a registered or you can have a credentialed veterinary technician you can have a non-credentialed one you can have a veterinary assistant and and kind of all of the the nuances that that lay within there but i'm not sure that our clients really know that that all those differences exist do you oh i i absolutely don't think they do and you know i travel a lot as a technician at this point in my career um and i do a lot of speaking and educating nationwide and and so inherently you know you're talking to your uber driver or the person next to you on the plane and you're having a conversation uh, about what you do for a living and and you say to them, you know, I don't know if you know this, but a person can come off of the street and do anesthesia on your pet in most states and they're like mind blown. So I really think that the the level of knowledge and education on the client side is really low and that's part of what this veterinary nursing initiative title change is out there to do. Terrific. I want to switch gears quickly now. And I want to flip around the perspective here. And I'm really interested to hear from you any pet peeves that you have of of DVMs that you work with or new DVMs that you've seen out in practice in terms of their interactions with, with the technicians, anything that, that they're doing in their practice <laughs> technique that you just are, you know, your jaw drops. You're like, oh, my goodness, what is going on? What advice do you have for for both as vet students and especially for for the new DVM graduates. Right? Okay, so I don't, I guess I would, I don't want to say they're, of course they exist, right? Let's be honest. But we love new grads. We love vet students. We think you guys are the best. And um, I love how eager you guys are all to learn. And when you come out of of school understanding that your technicians are a great place to turn to help learn things, um, you know, we have a whole lot of fun help introducing you guys to the field. 
I think a couple things I could reach back to with some of the new grads I've worked with in the past are a lot of you guys are really messy. (laughs) (laughs) I know that I spent a lot of time picking up over after a lot of students and and new grads and thinking to myself, who picked up after you in school? Because this is the real world. Um, Right. But but so don't be messy. Don't make your technicians pick up after you. Uh, And I think the other thing is truly have the confidence, you know, in yourself and in be confident in what you have learned, but also be humble and look to your teammates. Your technicians are amazing wealth of information, an amazing resource. A lot of times they have done whatever it is you're trying to do a hundred times and they are so happy to be there to help educate you. Um, so don't hesitate to utilize them for, for what they do because they love to do it. And, and it's truly why we're all in this field. Utilization is one of the number one ways to battle burnout. So when you get out there in the field, you know, it's exciting to do a lot of those things um, that you haven't had maybe a chance to do before, but kind of stay in your in your lane as far as a DVM and make sure you're utilizing your technicians because they're going to they're going to carry you through. They're going to help supplement your education and they're going to be the backbone for the long run. Definitely. And one thing, too, that I've seen in my my again, my short experience being in clinics, whether as an extern or as an assistant before vet school, is that some veterinarians, like you said, are not utilizing the technicians to their full potential. For example, uh, doing uh, blood draws on every patient that the veterinarian sees, whereas you could see more patients in a day if you just allowed the the technicians in the in the hospital to do some of those things, like I said, be it blood draws, being uh, radiographs, uh, inducing free anesthesia, assuming that that your state practice had allows for that, and other things that that run along those lines. I think it's a it's a major way that you can increase efficiency, and this kind of goes into a whole uh, you know business and strategy and, and and all of that. But a major thing that I've seen again in, in the few amount of practices that I've seen. Or a few, the few amount of practices that I've I've had the experience of learning in is that there are a lot of inefficiencies in the practice, and a lot of those inefficiencies can be totally reversed by using the technician for what they are trained in and where they really want to shine. Oh, 100%. And, you know, when you talk about it from a, a business standpoint, we look at the pediatric model and we kind of look at that model because we say, well, these patients don't necessarily talk to their doctor either, right? So the patient isn't necessarily telling the doctor what's wrong. Of course, they have an advocate parent, but so do our patients. These doctors are seeing more like 40 patients a day, whereas veterinarians are seeing more along the lines of 10. So when we look at right. it, 8 to 10 versus 40, it's totally about staff utilization. They utilize their support staff better. Their support staff is happy because they're doing what they want to do. And the revenue, the cost efficiency, the efficacy within the practice, and additionally, client satisfaction because they're being able to be seen more readily, no doubt, and probably in and out faster. So utilization, like I said, it, it battles. it's totally going to battle burnout within your staff. It keeps them happy. It's what they want to do. I know that when you first get out of vet school, a lot of those things are fun to do because they're the hands-on skills. Don't worry. Mm -hmm. Your technicians are going to hand over plenty of catheters and, and, you know, I can't get this vein doc. It's up to you. You're going to have plenty of opportunities down the road. Um, You know, understand that that is what they're there to do. And and you're right. Utilizing them is going to make you more money. It's better for the whole. (laughs) It's better for everyone. And um, it's one of, I think, the biggest mistakes I see in veterinary practices today. 
Right. Another thing, another saying that I always kind of go back to, and and I think that the the main reason that I keep thinking about this is is my unique background as well, which which is in business before vet school, is that time is money. And when I first heard that, right when I was out of college, I thought it was kind of like a, a BS kind of thing. I didn't really know what it meant. I thought it was just a stupid kind of cool lingo term that people people kind of swung around in the business place. But it, it really is true. And, and it's it's really hard to understand until you've been in, a, in an environment that is so time dependent. And, and veterinary medicine is one of those. Uh, absolutely. So like you said, if you can utilize the technicians to do things that will save you time, that's going to allow you to see more patients, make more money, provide better medicine, and the list just goes on. So I will always try to remember that, that the time is money. And by you doing a nail trim on a dog, or like you said, placing a catheter or doing a blood draw, just things that are not good uses of, of your time as a veterinarian. Absolutely. And and again, I know I've said it a bunch of times, but you'll keep your staff happier. We don't need micromanaged. We're, we're happy to do the skills. We love it. And um, we'll come to you if we need help and ask for that. So time is money 100% and, and we love what we do. So um, keep your staff happy and let them do their job. Right. The other thing I thought of too, in terms of possibly a an area of improvement, let's say for for new veterinarians, and I'm not sure if you've ever experienced this or experienced this or have heard about it from other uh, colleagues of yours that are technicians, but about veterinarians pretty much showing the the utmost respect for their technicians and being as kind as they can be, really making sure that they are everyone is really you know on a very positive relationship status. Um, I can only imagine that the technician and the veterinarian, if they're not jiving or uh, if they are really jiving, it's going to make all the difference in the world. In other words, the technician, in my mind, could either make or break your success. Right. Like it's all about emotional intelligence, though, right? And this is what we're missing so much in the veterinary industry itself. And, you know, I could take up an entire podcast worth of this conversation alone when we Mm -hmm. talk about how poor emotional intelligence affects the entire team. And we talk about it a lot on the Veterinary Viewfinder, and Dr. Cindy does a lot of research about this. And I think you guys are even maybe going to touch on this if, if when you're talking with her. But emotional intelligence and the culture within the practice are 100% what make or break your day, your staff. Not everybody is going to get along or have those same personality you know, types that are going to be 100% happy best friends all day, all the time. But the underlying mm-hmm. work culture and... The environment that you create, it, it, it makes or breaks your day, it makes or breaks your staff, your turnover, and your clients, right? So when we find, and, and I think as a student, you, and I don't know what it's like where you're at in, in your program, but I hear so frequently from veterinary students, you know, the, the way that the communication happens from their professors. You know, if you don't know the answer to something, it's a shame culture out there, right? If you're shamed for not knowing, you're made to feel bad, you're more likely to carry that on into your practice. So if you ask somebody something and they don't know the answer, if you, somebody lets you down, you're more likely to shame them instead of just say like, hey, you know, I am so glad that you brought this mistake to my attention so we could find a way to fix it together. When you create a safe place and an emotionally intelligent work environment, 
it's going to make all the difference. And we have got to change this culture because what we know is that the depression, suicide, anxiety, uh, alcoholism, divorce, substance abuse, it's all out of control in the veterinary industry. And there's underlying monsters that are driving that. And a lot of it is the culture in which we drive ourselves. Definitely. And I think it's also important to remember that a positive attitude as well as a negative attitude are both equally contagious. So, um, you know, it's all about, like you said, that workplace environment and, and kind of how you set that up and, and, and approach it is just going to, to make the biggest difference in the world either way. So, so yeah. yeah, I totally agree with you Right, there. Except, the, except the negative attitude is an epidemic and it's going to destroy your practice from the inside out. And, I, and my biggest advice is when you get out there, so many veterinary students are excited to become, you know, practice owners and work in, and have their own practice and they see things such, such rose-colored glasses. When you have got that toxic workplace environment, you find the cause and you get rid of it and there is no well, what if, or second chances, or manipulation of the situation, you get that negativity out of your practice, and there's a zero tolerance because we have got to change the culture within our clinics. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. What other recommendations do you have for us? Oh my gosh, I know. That's so intense, but, um, you know, honestly, the thing is, is that you're in this for the reasons um, that a lot of people won't recognize, a lot of people won't acknowledge. And so we're so self-driven to be fulfilled in this industry, and we don't take the time to tell ourselves we're good enough, that we're doing a great job, and that we are fulfilling the need within the community, that we are saving lives. We have to be easy on ourselves, be kind to ourselves and be kind to each other and to truly let your passion shine through and don't ever forget what got you into those seats in the first place. Couldn't have said it better myself. That That is terrific. Yeah, yeah, so, thank you. Uh, no problem. So uh, again, thank you so much, Becky, for joining me. I think this is very, very pertinent information for for all the vet students and even new grads out there. Like I said in the beginning, we don't get enough, let alone pretty much any uh, information about what you all go through to to gain uh, the certification to to do the great work that you all do. And and I really wanted to make it known and and to have an advocate for the veterinary technicians out there, which you've done a great job of of showing what the value of having a credentialed technician in your clinic or hospital uh can be so so thank you for for doing that for us yeah no and thank you for myth busting and kind of breaking up some of the the cloudy areas because i think that's a, a part where we struggle a lot and you know um the more we can educate people about what we do and um you know who we are as a profession you know i i think the better awesome perfect well Keep doing the great work you're doing. Oh, and you know what? Before we go, I do want to give you a chance to to, to plug a little bit about your podcast, which I've become a huge fan of over the, over the past year that I've gotten into podcasting. So tell me, tell us a, a quick little bit about uh, what you do on the podcasting side for yourself. Right. Thank you so much. I love to hear people say they're a fan. I always get so cracked up and I'm like, uh, you know, I, I mean... I'm always surprised to hear more than my mom listens, but um, (laughs) the Veterinary Viewfinder is a podcast that we've been doing for just under a year. We'll be a year in November, and it's Dr. Ernie Ward, Dr. Cindy Courtney, and myself, and we're really just 
you know, tackling the topics that are out there in the veterinary industry that need to be talked about. So we sit down and we have a, you know, 25 to 30 minute discussion, sometimes with a guest, sometimes just the three of us. And we're just out there trying to tackle the topics that people need to talk about. Awesome. Yeah, I definitely give it two thumbs up for whatever that's worth. Uh, I love listening to you three and um, all the information that you guys talk about is super relevant and applicable to to the vet school space as well. So uh, for all the vet students listening to to my podcast, um, I would definitely encourage you to to check out uh, Veterinary Viewfinder as well. Yeah, thanks. And you can find us, um, we are on Stitcher, iTunes, and Google. So check us out. Perfect. Awesome. All right, Becky, well, thank you so much again. This was awesome. Um, And I hope to talk to you again soon. Thanks so much. I really appreciate you having me. No problem. Thanks again. All right. Have a great night. Once more, I want to give a huge thanks to Becky Mosser for joining me on the podcast today. And please be sure to check out the Veterinary Viewfinder podcast that is hosted by Becky, Dr. Ernie Ward, and Dr. Sydney Courtney to hear about more hot topics like this one in veterinary medicine. And lastly, thank you so much for listening to the Vet School Unleashed podcast. For resources and more information about the podcast, please check us out online at www.vetschoolunleashed.com or find me on Instagram or Facebook. You can also connect with me via email at seth at vetschoolunleashed.com. I'd love to hear any suggestions or topics that you'd like to hear us talk about and even reach out if you want to be on the podcast and share some insight of your own. And if you feel so inclined, like always, please feel free to leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks again, and we'll talk to you next time on Vet School Unleashed, Dissecting the DVM. DVM.